It's the All Things Strange Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent Anderson, Agent ETA, and Agent Ether. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can check out all of our wonderful links in the description on the link tree where you can find our discord our merchandise and more like our patreon this week's episode project stargate Funnily enough, uh, Anderson and I were trying to think of the perfect name for a cafe that was kind of related to the All Things Strange podcast. So we were coming up with different names. And I was like, well, it has to be Project Something or Another, like Blue Book. But it doesn't quite fit in for yeah. a cafe. And I'm confident they have Area 51 cafes out there. Well, we were bored yesterday because we're on vacation. <laughs> with COVID. But our kids have COVID. <laughs> So we can't really go anywhere. And yesterday, Agent Ether got bored and said, let's go get some drinks at the bar. So we went to, to there's a bar pretty close to here. So we went there and I was just thinking, okay, what if I had a bar and I made it some kind of theme? Oh, that's right. It wasn't a coffee shop. It yeah, was a, it was a bar. bar. We couldn't think of anything good. What about, what about Project Strange? That, I mean, that, yeah, that's all right. But I don't, that, know. I, I don't know. That might attract uh, who knows what crowd that's going to attract, <laughs> yeah. actually. <laughs> a strange crowd. But all right, let's get to Project Stargate. This was voted upon by our Patreon subscribers. We've got three tiers for you. The first tier will get you early access and after hours. The second tier will get you bonus episodes. And the third tier will let you vote on upcoming topics. This week, it was between Project Stargate and what was the other one? Uh, false flags. False flags. That's right. Yeah, that's going to be a good one too. But uh, Project Stargate won because it was a tie, and Agent Ether wanted to do Project Stargate. <laughs> Anything having to do with psychics. Yeah, it's a fun one. Not as good as time travel, but it's up there. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting too. Though the Walla Agent Ether, why don't you tell us a little bit about the background of Project Stargate? Hold on, let me find my notes. So I'm always complaining about my glasses. I finally did. I went to Costco, and I got new glasses, and she told me I needed two pairs, one for my regular vision and one for computer work because I am old, the end. So I got my notes here. I got my new glasses. So Project Stargate is actually a conglomerate of individual projects that started in the 1970s, and they have really cool names, projects like Gondola Wish and Sunstreak. And they were all kind of put together in 95 under the name Stargate. And they were created to investigate the potential use of things like remote viewing to see events and gain information from a distance. So like I said, this was back in the 1970s. You have the Cold War. And the U.S. is very interested in being able to obtain information about what's going on in the Soviet Union. And they've been getting reports in the intelligence office that Russia is engaging in experiments in psychokinesis, ESP, those sort of things. And at the time, they were spending 60 million ruples a year on mm. this project. And I did some calculations. 
you know, the rubles to the dollar back then. And then I was just about to ask about that. How does that translate? 120 million per US dollars per year in today's wow. in today's money. So a lot of money on things like, you know, mind reading. So the CIA began its own project and it was with the uh, Stanford, Re- Stanford Research Institute or SRI in California. And it was run by uh, Harold Puthoff, who was a consultant for the NSA, big name Russell Targ, who was actually a physicist. And primarily, they wanted to test the effectiveness of remote viewers to gain information about security, like I said, in the Soviet Union. So the initial project is Scanate, or Scan by Coordinates, because what they were looking to do is have their psychics come in and search for coordinates, information where they could then triangulate places. For example, I'll talk about later, there was this woman and she was able to give them the position of a downed airplane hmm. using these coordinates. And that was under Project Scanate. And what amazes me is that year after year, Congress would approve a budget for these projects. So they were classified to an extent, but you know, people in Congress knew somewhat what was going on and they're like, well, the Soviet Union is doing it, so we have to do it. We have to make sure (laughs) we're not missing anything that they're getting knowledge of because this is a powerful tool, a powerful uh, resource. Yet you got to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. It's probably nothing to it, but just in case, we better look into it as well. (laughs) We better spend millions and millions of dollars per year. (laughs) Yeah. So have you guys heard of Israeli Uri Geller? Yes. Mm -hmm. He was a big name at the time. He used to be a paratrooper. He was an ex-paratrooper. So he was kind of like a magician. He went around. He was famous because he said he could... um, Bend spoons. Primarily, that's what he did. He bent spoons and he stopped clocks. So he claimed at the age of four, he was struck by lightning. And the first time he went to pick up a spoon, it actually broke. Hmm. So he would go around and I actually saw a video of him. And he was like rubbing the spoon back and forth. um, Not even quickly, just back and forth. And then slowly, it was bending like on the camera like you could see it bending and then somebody took it from him somebody in the um whoever was recording it took it from him and it snapped in half weird just bent in half so that was that was kind of interesting and he actually coined the term remote viewing or rv for short okay so he came up with the idea well i wouldn't say the idea um he coined the term okay so the idea is to gain information about distant objects, people, events, and locations remotely, remote viewing. The government was also interested, of course, in telepathy and predicting the the future, psychokinesis, ESP, all of these things kind of under the umbrella of psychology, but parapsychology, like its own subcategory. Right. And the interesting thing about remote viewing is they believe that it can be done not just in present but it can be used to remotely view things in the past or the future. Right. That's that's very true. So going back to Uri, he was put in a room for eight days in August of 1973, and he was asked to duplicate drawings that he couldn't see in the room. He had no connection to these people like 
in one scenario, in one case, there was an agent outside the room, and they're like, hey, draw something for Ori to replicate. And he drew a bunch of grapes. They taped it to the door outside of the room, and he was able to replicate that it was a bunch of grapes. Hmm, interesting. Like, from inside the room. And they even tested it, like, miles away, and he was able to recreate some of these drawings. Now, not all of them. He was not successful 100% of the time. But he should have been successful, let's face it, 0% of the time. Right. So for me, even the story of the grapes, like, if that's true, that's amazing. Just one time. It doesn't have to be 100%. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool indeed. Um, The name changed in the 1970s, and the project moved to Fort Meade in Maryland, and it was called Operation Grill Flame. And That's my favorite name. Makes me <laughs> want to eat a steak. Because you're, you're the griller. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a Soviet plane. It had crashed somewhere in Africa in the Democratic Republic of Con- Congo. And there was an airman, Rosemary Smith. I don't know how or why she was involved in the project. I just ran across her name. Do you happen to know Agent Anderson? No. No. I just found her name. And... The reason this is interesting, it was later confirmed by President Jimmy Carter that this has ha- that happened, that it was an actual event. Hmm. Um, so she was given a map, and she marked where she thought the plane came down. Two days later, the CIA found the plane at the coordinates where she had specified, and they were able to gain valuable technology from the downed aircraft. That's so weird. It was a Soviet... TU-22 bomber. It was actually a spy plane. Yeah, and that's like just just how much area they had to cover. It seems like a bit much to be a coincidence, right? Well, they had they had like satellites and they were trying to locate the plane. They kept coming up short. And then she just out of all this jungle canopy that you know that was completely covered, she was able to pinpoint the wreckage. That's pretty cool. It is amazing because the Congo is like a lot of the areas of the Congo are densely forested, you know, and that, that I mean, it's, I'm a little, little bit skeptical, skeptical about this kind of stuff, but that, that is a, that's a little, a little amazing, you know, it's, it's yeah, really I like tried how, to, how the hell did she do that? I tried to find like the cream of the crop stories because there's so much information to this case. There's so many avenues where you could take it. And people have written books, you know, and there's documentaries. What's the one with the goats? The men who who stare at goats. goats. Now, I haven't seen that. Is that like a comedy or? Yes. Okay, I thought it might be. I thought it might be. We should watch it sometime. I've seen the movie and it was, uh, ah, it was okay. You know, it had a lot of good actors in the movie, but I don't don't know. To to me, it wasn't like, it was kind of a little bit more ridiculous than, Comedical, you know, com comment, yeah. Comedical, yeah. Is that the right word? Anyways, uh, it was entertaining, but I wasn't like you know blown away by it. It was just a bit interesting and a bit funny, you know. Yeah, it it was a. Uh, I thought it was entertaining. Yeah, not not like a great movie or anything, but it was fun. We've watched yeah, so many fun, fun quote unquote fun movies over the last week. I have to admit, I'm a little tired of watching movies. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about some of them in the after hours. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Agent Anderson and I, like, I just started feeling pretty good. Like two days ago, I think I was fully recovered, but Agent Redacted is still sick and he's been sick since Not last really. Friday. 
yeah, yeah. really sick. That sucks. Um, let's see, where was I? Okay, so moving kind of forward in time, I want to look at uh, 1984 at Army veteran Joseph McMonagall. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, like from Harry Potter. Like from Harry Potter. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not like Harry <laughs> Potter. He was actually remote viewer number one. That's how he's referred to in documents. And I think that's how people thought of him as like the best, the number one remote viewer. Now, according to him, he was involved in 450 quote-unquote missions. I like how he describes them. Yeah, well, I mean, they kind of are, I guess, right? Between 78 and 84, it included uh, helping the Army locate hostages and pointing the CIA to shortwave radio concealed in a pocket calculator of a suspected KGB agent captured in South Africa. I heard about that, yeah. Weird. He, very specific. Yeah, it, it is very specific. He specialized in near-death experiences, out-of-body travel, so like astral projection, which we did a whole episode on. Um, and a typical day of work for him meant he was presented with envelopes and he was asked to supply information about what was inside and give them any additional information that he could come up with. Uh, let's see what I got in my notes here. Agent ETA, do you know anything about his trip to Mars? I had heard about it briefly. Uh, he was he was given like a, I get what was it like? A, there was an envelope with inf information in it, and they they basically asked him to guess what was in the envelope. Am I correct about that? Yeah, yeah. They gave him like in the envelope there were like three sentences written, and one was like one. Agent Anderson's pointing something at me. I can't did read. This, did this happen on May twenty second, nineteen eighty four? Yeah. I actually have that transcript You right have the now. whole transcript? I was going to go over parts of it later. Okay, well then I'm going to skip that for no, now. No, tell the story though. Cause I'll, yeah, hey, let's do tell it Tell the story. He had mentioned like, didn't he, he had mentioned like, like uh, seeing people who were like tall and like uh, in hibernation and also like uh, mentioned like seeing an obelisk, uh, something that reminded him of the George Washington monument. Yeah, yeah, it's so weird. He mentioned all these like megalithic structures and like geometrical shapes, and people, right? He talked yeah. about seeing people. Yeah, we'll go over the transcript in a little bit. Yeah, he reported, so yeah, he reported the people. I actually have a little bit of the transcript too, but it's it's a very, very small portion. So I'm going to let you do that because mine's just kind of copied and pasted. But he was awarded the Legion of Merit for his work. So some of it has to be legit. Right, he accomplished something. And he's written a lot of novels since then he has his own website he does um he does uh like seminars he lays out in a, a novel his theory of time he said i believe we fool ourselves into thinking that things are linear because we normally experience them in a linear fashion and our assumption at the time was that i was working on targets on earth he said but what if i wasn't and as to Mars, you know, why the government was having him investigate it, he said, I haven't got a clue, absolutely none. It was totally out of left field for me. Weird. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't sure what they were doing because he's supposed to be involved in essentially a Cold War with Russia involving things like ESP, the, the para parapsychological Right. So what does any of that have to do with Mars? Maybe 
NASA found evidence of an ancient civilization there, and they were trying to get information about it so they can go and lift some technology. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard a lot of stories about like obelisks, obelisks found on the moon, on Mars, and I have no idea how true any of that is, but I've heard mention of it before, so it kind of makes your mind, your mind wander a little bit. Well, I've actually seen, there are people who go over pictures from Mars, and I've seen a handful of pictures that are really compelling that don't look like natural structures, and I've seen uh-huh. one or two that to me look absolutely artificial. Like that does not look natural at all. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's not that many, absolutely. but I have seen a handful of them that I found convincing. If we ever do a, um, a live version of the podcast, maybe I'll hunt some of those up and we can just look at them and talk about them. But doing a podcast version of that wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Audio only, you know. So I have a quote here. Uh, it was from 1979, Republican Charles Rose And he stated that the program seemed like a hell of a cheap radar system. And if the Russians have it and we don't, we're in serious trouble. (laughs) Yeah, that's one way of putting it. That probably sums up the whole program. Like it did cost money. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if the Russians do have it, then we better have it too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of wonder, I kind of wonder if like this whole thing was like a a ruse by, by the Soviet Union just to make us spend money. You know what I mean? Like, were they actually doing this? It seems like they were, but were they really? You or because I mean, there's different or vice what? vice versa. Yeah, I was wondering that myself oh, yeah, too. Yeah. Are are we doing Definitely. it to to spook up the Russians to make them think we have something going on? Yeah, we're spending all this money, you know, because we're actually developing something and we're successful. I mean, I've seen us putting out numbers as high as sixty five percent. You know, and that was supposed to be classified and top secret, but of course things get leaked and everything's not top secret. So if those numbers were being leaked to the Soviet Union that we had a 65% success rate at like remote viewing. That's pretty high. Then they're going to freak, it's going to freak them out. Yeah. I mean, of course. One of the stories, one of the stories I had heard is the reason why the Russians started their own program is because they had gotten hold of uh, some information from uh, the end of World War II that the Germans were actually like highly involved in this type of thing as well. And so they saw enough evidence to where they started their own program because they're interested enough in it. And uh, I guess it went on from there. And then we got a hold of the information that they were doing this type of research. And we're like, well, well, well we better look out, uh, you know, look into this for ourselves just in case it's a real thing, you know. That's interesting. I hadn't heard that they were. You know, I forget the name the of the of the, uh-huh. the German program. I had, I had watched like a, a little video and then read a little article about it, but I forget the damn name. I probably couldn't pronounce it anyways. But I think it was but, Das uh, Machenschnitzel. I think you're making that up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds be. legit. <laughs> that might may or may not be invented. Who knows? Really, though, you could break the program down into a lot of different categories. But as far as remote viewing goes, there's three categories. Like I mentioned before, there's the coordinate remote viewing where it's asking viewers to find a specific place. There's extended remote viewing, which combined relaxation and meditation with remote viewing, almost like hypnosis is what it sounds like to me. And then the most interesting that came kind of later towards the project was written remote viewing, which combined channeling and automatic writing its inception was about 1988. So that was definitely towards the end of the project, which would wrap up in the early 1990s. Mm-hmm. 
Well, didn't didn't they in 1995? Didn't it go from like the um, not the NSA, the um, DNI to the CIA, right? The CIA took it yeah. over in 95. It bounced around, that's for yeah. sure. I mean, I have reports here from the DIA and the CIA that make it seem like it was a joint effort. Probably it was. Yeah, I don't see that it was just one one department here. I mean, it, and you would, if you think about it, it is intelligence. It's central intelligence involving Russia. So it would not make sense that it was just like the Defense Department or something. Right. That, yeah. that, well, I mean, yeah. the, the, prog- the program had different incarnations and went by a, a bunch of different names that we had already mentioned, like Scan 8 and uh, Grow Flame, which, like I said, is my favorite. But Center Lane, Project CF, Sunstreak, uh, I mean, that there, it went by a bunch of different names. So I think that, like, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it went through a lot of different incarnations and, you know, uh, somehow it was able to stay alive for, what was it, like 25 years or something like that? Yeah, at least. And I love that ever Which, since then, most of these documents have been declassified. Quite a lot of them have, yeah. Actually, yeah. a surprising amount of documents. Well, it's like millions thousand. of pages, isn't it? It's 89,000 pages that the CIA has released so far. Yeah, like you could, oh, okay. just I, looking at this stuff, you could do many episodes going over this stuff with a fine-tooth comb. Yeah, just there's, Stargate, that's for sure. There's a bunch of like really cool stuff in the documents. Just the, you know, just the very few that I've been able to look at. There, yeah. And it, a lot of this stuff is going to be heavily redacted, of course, but there's a lot of information in there too to go over. Did you, what do you think about the redacted? I didn't actually get a chance to look through a lot of the materials, but the stuff I saw didn't have many redactions. Yeah. How was it on your end? The two that I'm going over today, I'm going over two different documents. Neither one has any redactions. They're all completely unredacted. No, that makes me wonder if they really didn't find much. Right. Uh, in, in my mind, I'm like, well, if there's not much necessity for redaction, then how much evidence was really found? Right. That's one thing that occurred to me is if this is real, then there's no chance in hell that they would be releasing this information that basically not only tells you how to do it, but outlines their activities throughout the years, Right. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's definitely something I was thinking about. Because then an, an enemy power could take all of this research and use it against us. It doesn't make any sense. On the other hand, maybe they knew that they had already been infiltrated by enemy agents. So by releasing it, that's part of some other kind of, you know, disinformation or ruse or who knows who knows what kind of games they're playing. You know, they, just like we went over in the, um, the uh, Art of Deception slideshow, these people are extremely clever and you never know what their goals are. One of the, I think the slide that sums up that presentation the most, it's a painting where you have this guy doing this cups game, you know, the three cups where you're hiding a ball and then you slide a hand and people oh, bet. Yeah. And, you know, so you have a crowd of people looking at the cups game. Meanwhile, you have somebody behind them pickpocketing them. So you think that the cups game is the real deception, but it's not. That's just a distraction. And whatever the Mm. real deception is, you have no idea whatsoever what it is. So I think that's what goes on with these kinds of games. Whatever game they're playing, whether any of this is real, whether it's not, whether it's some kind of distraction, we'll never know. It's all just speculation. Well, speaking of of paintings, if you go to Uri Geller's website, he has a big website, you can purchase one of his original paintings. That'd be pretty sweet. You can also become a member of his mystical island for a dollar. 
What 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 is the mystical island? I don't know. I only had so much time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But it has all sorts of interesting stuff on there. He's kind of come beyond remote viewing. He thinks, for example, that um, he's been sent visions of aliens coming to us to prevent nuclear war. Hmm. Like, that's why. And he's into, like, UAPs and that sort of thing. So he's kind of reached out beyond the initial topic of our conversation, right. you know. You having some trouble over there, ETA? I eat. ETA is wrestling his microphone. What? 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 What are you doing to your microphone? I don't know over what there? happened. <laughs> I, I I got up to you know oh. uh, fart. <laughs> oh my god! Nah, I'm joking. Uh, I would have farted right into the, right into the microphone if I had that happen. Now I was, I was uh, just uh, reaching over to grab uh, my drink that I had over on the uh, coffee table there. Sorry, my chair is very loud. I apologize. All right. So where were you, Agent Ether? Well, I was wondering if you wanted to go over some of the transcripts you have. Okay, sure. Yeah. If you're if you're finished with your introductory material. By the way, I'm looking at the Uri Geller Museum on his website. Um, I'm not okay to visit or land. He has his own museum. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> That's pretty it's, ballsy. Yeah. Well, venue available for private hire. How to visit. Well, that's, he must be very well-funded. He must have made a butt-ton of money. <laughs> well, he does seminars. Yeah. He does seminars, too. And um, I, I know I have a friend who attends some, and they can be kind of pricey, no matter what you're doing, no matter what uh-huh. kind of seminar it is, it can cost a lot of money. He Wait, and, you have a friend that went to the Uri Geller no, seminar? No, a seminar. Just oh. people who go to seminars in general. I know they can be, you know, thousands of dollars per person. So if you have them like every month, you could be making a lot of money. And he's done multiple books oh. and television. His museum is in uh, is in Tel Aviv. Oh, well, that makes sense because I think oh. he's, he's Israeli. Yeah, well, uh, I'll probably never visit, unfortunately, <laughs> so I won't be able to see his museum. But, you know, you never know. Maybe someday I'll end up over there. You know who also has seminars is there's a professor at the University of Oregon um, in psychology, Mr. Ray Hyman, and he is adamant. He concluded that Uri was a fraud, like an amateur magician, and he himself was an amateur magician. And he's like, it's all a sleight of hand. And he started giving these seminars. They were annual 40 seminars where you learn the skeptic's toolbox how mm-hmm. to tell fact from fiction, and it's specifically for scientists um, to debunk things that aren't true, like parapsychology. And they kind of, I don't think it was like a direct competition or anything, but this guy, it sounded like Ray Hyman really did not like Uri Geller, like on a personal level, just thought he was a real fraud. And he equated basically his results to mass hysteria. Like people at the time were very interested in parapsychology and ESP and that sort of thing. So they were kind of looking for that. And so in my mind, it was kind of like he was saying, well, that's just mass hysteria. I mean, I'm I'm definitely willing to entertain that idea. The, the spoon bidding, for example, I have seen an explanation of how that is achieved. And you can achieve it without any psychic powers whatsoever. <laughs> but yeah, but um, who knows? I mean, I don't, I don't know for sure. And I've definitely had strange experiences of my own that are unexplainable. 
So I'm kind of on the fence about it. And I don't know. Have you seen The Matrix? There is no spoon. There is, there is no spoon. What does he say? Something about reality bending around you. It's not yeah. you must bend. It's not reality that bends. It's you. Right. Yeah. So, all right. Let's, let's get into some of my documents. I only looked at two because there are so many and they're all very long. Well, a lot of them are very long. There's tons available online. Just do a Google search for, you know, Project Stargate documents. You'll get a bunch if you're interested in looking up some of this stuff yourself because it is kind of fascinating. One that I wanted to look at was called uh, is called Analysis and Assessment of Gateway Process. And this is from June 9, 1983. This talks about something called the Gateway Process. And I found it interesting because rather than being a specific operation or a specific event like Agent Ether was talking about. This is talking about the methods or how they achieve things like remote viewing. Here we go. The gateway process, it was one of the methods used and it involved things like hypnosis, biofeedback, transcendental meditation, and out-of-body experiences. Here's the introduction to the document. You tasked me to provide an assessment of the gateway experience in terms of its mechanics and ultimate practicality. As I set out to fulfill that tasking, it soon became clear that in order to assess the validity and practicality of the process, I needed to do enough supporting research and analysis to fully understand how and why the process works. Frankly, sir, that proved to be an extremely involved and difficult business. Initially, based on conversations with a physician who, physician who took the gateway training with me, I had recourse to the biomedical models developed by uh, Itzhak Bentov to obtain information concerning the physical aspects of the process. Then I found it necessary to delve into various sources for information concerning quantum mechanics in order to be able to describe the nature and functioning of human consciousness. I had to be able to construct a scientifically valid and reasonably lucid model of how consciousness functions under the influence of the brain-hemisphere synchronization technique employed by Gateway. Once this was done, the next step involved recourse to theoretical physics in order to explain the character of the time-space dimension and the means by which expanded human consciousness transcends it in achieving gateway objectives. Finally, I again found it necessary to use physics to bring the whole phenomenon out of body states into the language of physical science to remove the stigma of its occult connotations and put it in a frame of reference suited to objective assessment. <laughs> Bill sounds new agey to me, even if you're bringing physics into it. Yeah, well, he's, yeah, but he said quantum physics, so. So it must be okay. That means it's, that means it's super sciencey. Yeah, I don't know. That sounded like a lot of hand waving. I've had a lot of physics classes. Well, it gets better. Oh, it does. Are you going to read it does, more? Yeah. I'm not going to read the whole document. The whole document it was like 29 pages. So I'm just going to go over a couple of excerpts from it. It's pretty interesting. It even has like diagrams and stuff. Oh, diagrams. Yeah, like drawings of the brain and labels and stuff. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. Niels Bohr, 
The renowned physicist once responded to his son's complaints about the obtuse nature of certain concepts in physics by saying, You are not thinking. You are merely being logical. The physics of altered human consciousness deals with some conceptualizations that are not easily grasped or visualized exclusively in the context of ordinary left-brain linear thinking. So to borrow Dr. Bohr's mode of expression, parts of this paper will require not only logic, but a touch of right-brain intuitive insight Uh to achieve a complete, (laughs) comfortable grasp of the concepts involved. Are you got got a peanut gallery going I on over here? I just feel like, hey, why don't you suspend belief? Yeah, <laughs> and shut up because otherwise you're too stupid right. to understand the difference between logic and and thinking, as you yeah. said, which is really logic and imagination when you think about it. Right, that's kind of another way of what he's talking. Another, another way of saying it. Use yeah. your own imagination, imagination and intuition, because otherwise this won't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> But the the thing I find fascinating is this is a real document that was like classified and or from a secret project. Uh, Let's see what level it was classified. Does it say approved for release? Sometimes it'll have it stamped on the document, you know, if it was classified. Oh, maybe it was never classified. It was just not released. I don't know. I'd have to look that up I quoted Niels Bohr, so I'm smart. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) One thing that occurred to me when I was reading this document is... That it, it comes off as being a serious take. Like, there, this is not a joke document. It's a real document that was, you know, prepared for this secret project. And it makes you wonder, why would they release it? You know, that, like I was talking about earlier, it's hard to know if this is a genuine document, if it's a misdirection, if stuff in here was really being used, if this is not what was being used, but this is just trying to misdirect enemy agents to do this method, which doesn't actually work. And they were using an entirely different method because as a agent ether said, they did have some positive results that would be very hard to fake. I don't know. The whole thing is just one big head trip. If you think about it, anyways, continuing, continuing on. Nevertheless, once that is done, I am confident that their construction and application will stand up to the test of rational critique. And that's sort of parts of the, that's most of the intro, but that's parts of the intro of the document. Now, here's some parts from the document itself. Wait, I was going to say, he just said it's going to stand up to the scientific method. Right. Does it say in this document that that was achieved? Just curious. uh, I didn't see a whole lot of talk about the scientific method specifically in the document, but let's get into a little bit more of it. Yeah. Okay. Introduction. In order to describe the Monroe Institute technique for achieving altered states of consciousness or the gateway experience involving brain hemisphere synchronization or hemi-sync, the most effective way begins to briefly profile the basic mechanics which underlay operation of related methods such as hypnosis, transcendental meditation, and biofeedback. It is easiest to effectively describe what gateway is by beginning with a short description of those, but which are nevertheless different. Hypnosis is basically a method, a technique which permits acquisition of direct access to the sensory motor cortex and pleasure sensors and lower cerebral portions of the right side of the human brain following 
successful disengagement of the stimulus screening function of the left hemisphere of the brain. So basically, the left hemisphere is like the rational, logical part of your brain, and the right part is like the creative or, let's say, the psychic part of your brain. And the left part of your brain is always trying to cock-block the right part of your brain. And what we have to do is we have to distract or turn off the left part of the brain so that that right part of the brain can really do its stuff. That's kind of what they're talking about in this document. The right hemisphere functions as the non-critical, holistic, nonverbal, and pattern-oriented component of the brain. I like holistic. Yeah. The right hemisphere accepts what the left passes it. So it's saying that normally the left hemisphere is feeding the right hemisphere stuff to interpret. I don't know if any of this is true. I'm not a brain doctor or a psychiatrist or anything like that. I have zero background for any of this stuff. So I, I, I don't know. I have no idea if this is even remotely. Well, and this is, <laughs> this is definitely, if you think about it, antiquated in some ways because we have so much more valuable tools available to us today. For example, an MRI machine, yeah. which allows us to see which parts of the brain are being stimulated in certain conditions, such as astral projection or hypnosis, the similarities and differences in brain function during these two different but similar types of viewings. Like, I don't know if this is or is not outdated. I have heard that the two hemispheres of the brain do act differently. And there was the case, I forget the guy's name, but it was, you know that movie um, Rain Man? Yeah. That's based, that's based on a real person and I read that he had an operation that separated the two hemispheres of his brain and they operated independently, almost as if there were two people in his head. That's creepy. I, so, I mean, like, I, I'm pretty sure it was that guy, but I remember reading about somebody that had that happen and like they could move their eyeballs independently and like it was like there's two people in there. It was weird. So, I don't know. Maybe there is something to this. Maybe it is outdated, but maybe it's not totally inaccurate either. No, know. not necessarily inaccurate, just that we have a lot more information available to us now. Yeah, that might be the case. Yeah. Like if this was report was written today, I think it would be a much different report. Right. That's a good point. Oh, by the way, speaking of, I came up with an experiment. I have something in my pocket that I'm holding in my hand. <laughs> All right. So if, Does it involve a cat? I'm not saying no clues. No clues whatsoever. <laughs> okay. If you want to try to play this game. Go ahead and look at the email in the description on the, um, it'll be in the link tree. I have an email link in there. If you think you know what it is in my hand, uh, go ahead and give me your guess. And if you're correct, I will send you merchandise of your choosing from our merch store. So go ahead and put your guesses in. And if remote viewing really does work, then it should work not just now, but also in the past and the future. So when you listen to this recording, I might have recorded this, you know, a while ago, but if you listen to this and you think, I know exactly what he's got in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a live audience. We have a live audience too, so tell them to drop their comments as yeah. well. And if somebody puts it in the live chat right now, if they get it, then they get it first. They get first chance because they're here live. So go ahead and put your guesses. It has to be specific. It can't be a ballpark. So if you guys can guess correctly, then... That'll be awesome. What uh, do they say in, in The Hobbit? String or nothing? 
Is that what they say? Uh, yeah, he said his final riddle was, what have I got in my pocket? And it was the gold ring. But uh, Gollum guessed, I think, string or nothing. Oh, okay. Well, it's definitely not nothing. It's definitely something. And that I would love if somebody guessed it correctly. That would make my that would make my I year. would love if it would be the magical one ring to rule them all and find them. Like that'd well, be a cool thing to have in your pocket. If it was the one ring, I wouldn't be doing a podcast right now. I'd be ruling the world. <laughs> <laughs> or trying to destroy it. One or the I, I other. wouldn't I wouldn't need to do a podcast discussing the possibilities of secrets. I would just be in charge and I would know all the secrets. All the secrets. All of them, yes. Bigfoot, aliens, interdimensional beings, whatever. You know, all of the stuff. Poltergeists, all the fun stuff. All right, right. what else you got in this document? Let's get back to the document. Uh, So the right hemisphere accepts what the left hemisphere passes to it. The left is uh, distracted. If the left hemisphere is distracted, then the right hemisphere can be affected by suggestions. I guess that's kind of how hypnosis works. Here's from the document. The result may involve an emotional reaction originating in the lower cerebral region, sensory motor responses requiring involvement of the cortex, and so on. Both the sensory and the motor cortices of the right cerebral portion of the brain contain a sequence of points known as the homunculus. Which no. Cor- yeah. Yeah. That's what they're <laughs> calling oh, full, it. Full metal alchemist. That's why I, that's, I wasn't going to put this paragraph in there, but because they said homunculus, I had to put it in. <laughs> Let's see. Where was it? Both the sensory and the uh, motor cortexes of the right cerebral portion of the brain contain a sequence of po- uh, points known as the homunculus, which corresponds to points in the body. Stimulation of the corresponding area on the cortex causes intermediate response in the associated portion of the body. Okay, so that's 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 an excerpt from that section, kind of what they're going, you know, just to give you an idea. Transcendental meditation. This works differently than hypnosis. In this technique, intense and protracted single-minded concentration on the process of drawing energy up the spinal cord ultimately results in what appears to be creation of acoustical standing waves in the cerebral ventricles, which are then conducted to the gray matter in the cerebral cortex on the right side of the brain. Oh, that's very interesting. So intense meditation where you're visualizing energy moving up your spine creates these patterns like waves that transfer to gray matter in the brain. That's what they're saying. That's really interesting. And it's it sounds like a bunch of hokum at first. It honestly does. But they have done research on people who are really good at meditating and what they can do is they can do things like your your brain runs at a certain frequency, like a certain cycle or whatever, right? And they can lower their brainwave cycle to, to uh, I don't know, like seven or eight hertz or something like that. And I forget the exact number, but the people who get really good at meditating and they get in like these trance-like states, they're able to match their brainwave frequency with what? Agent Ether, guess. Brainwave frequency with their heartbeat. No, the harmonic frequency of the earth. No. Yes. That's amazing. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So, I mean, this is scientifically tested that these people have these certain abilities to do things like this. So there might be something to this. I don't know. To me, it all sounds very, very strange. But 
I'm willing to give stuff a chance, you know, rather than dismiss it outright <laughs> because the world is a very strange place and people are bizarre. All right, so these waves will stimulate and eventually polarize the cortex in such a way that it will tend to conduct a signal along the homunculus starting from the toes and on up. The standing acoustical waves are the result of the altered rhythm of heart sounds which are occasioned by prolonged practice of meditation and which set up sympathetic vibrations in the walls of the fluid filled cavities which comprise the third and lateral ventricles of the brain. I, I don't know. I that's, don't know. That's not a little Greek to me. You know, I, know. I work in the medical field, but that's too much uh, neurology. So, but I mean, we know that they can do stuff. Is this is this how it's actually functioning? I don't know. It sounds a little weird to me, but who knows? Five years of practice is required to bring up the kundalini, which I didn't look that term up. I know it has to do with meditation, but that's a whole other can of worms that I didn't have time to go into. Being exposed, now this is the interesting part, being exposed to a frequency of four to seven hertz may produce similar effects. And I'm guessing, they didn't say this in the document, I'm guessing presumably be able to skip the five years of prep that you need to achieve this. Oh, steroids <laughs> but, versus exercise. I got it. Right. <laughs> but the interesting thing is that they have tested and they have found that um, ultra, or uh, not ultrasound, but um, what is it? Not ultra, but... I'm looking at you. I don't know what you're trying to say. Sub-ultrasound, you know, below 20 hertz. Uh-huh. What's, I forget the term. It's It's on the tip of my tongue. Anyways... So you have um, ultrasound, which is above your range of hearing, and then you have the undersound, which is below. It's it's not ultrasound. It's oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Whatever, it doesn't matter. But we, I did an ep- I did this in a previous episode. We talked about this. I don't know if you were on it, Agent Ether, but how certain frequencies can um, cause feelings of anxiety, and they can cause physiological responses, and certain frequencies. If it's the resonant frequency of your eyeball, it can make your eyeball vibrate and make you see like strange things like apparitions. They think that some ghosts, not all, but some ghost sightings in some haunted areas may be due to having these very low frequencies that cause physiological effects. So I saw, I thought that that was pretty interesting right there, that they found being exposed to a frequency of four to seven hertz may have an effect similar to, um, to meditation. And if people who meditate, they they bring their heart rate down, and if that causes some sort of acoustic reverberation in their body as part of the deal, just exposing people to that frequency and mimicking that acoustic reverberation, having the similar effect, it sounds very interesting to me. I'd like to test that out. I don't sounds have, like it could be weaponized to me. It does indeed. <laughs> the cumulative effect of these vibrations may be able to trigger a spontaneous physio kundalini sequence in susceptible people who have have a particularly sensitive nervous system. The next one they talk about in the document is biofeedback. Biofeedback is somewhat unique in that it actually um, employs the self-cognitive powers of the left hemisphere to gain access to such areas of the right brain as the lower cerebral motor and sensory cortices and assorted pain or pleasure sensors. Instead of suppressing the left hemisphere, as is done in hypnosis, or largely bypassing and ignoring it, 
as is done in transcendental med- meditation, biofeedback teaches the left hemisphere first to visualize the desired result and then to recognize the feelings associated with the experience of successful right hemisphere access to the specific lower cerebral cortex, pain or pleasure or other areas in the manner needed to produce the desired results. And then the last one that I'm talking about anyways is gateway and hemi-sync. Fundamentally, the gateway experience is a training system designed to bring enhanced strength, focus, and coherence to the amplitude and frequency of brainwave output between the left and right hemispheres so as to alter consciousness, moving it outside the physical sphere so as to ultimately escape even the restrictions of time and space. The participant then gains access to the various levels of intuitive knowledge which the universe offers. What differentiates the gateway experience from forms of meditation is its use of the hemi-sync technique which is defined in a monograph by Monroe Institute-trained Melissa Yeager as a state of consciousness defined when the EEG patterns of both hemispheres as simultaneously equal in amplitude and frequency. And the document goes over quite a lot of stuff like this for, you know, on and on and on. But you get the idea, basically. Sounds very new agey to me, but like with a scientific, kind of these this quasi-science is what I want to say. So what they want to do is they want to take, what is it, biofeedback, hypnosis, meditation, and they want to say, well, if you use all three together to access all these portions of the brain and kind of break down the barriers between them, then magic happens. That's, I don't know, that's just how I'm interpreting it. That's that's what it sounds like to me as well. <laughs> and that's why I was saying earlier, like, it's really hard to know whether or not this is legit, if it's part of a PSYOP. If this is legit, why would they release these documents? Maybe they were forced to, I don't know. But if it's real, it's hard to believe they would actually release these techniques. So maybe it's all just kind of hokum or some kind of misdirection. Maybe this is not the real technique they were using if they were even using one at all. Maybe it's all just a hoax like the skeptic people think. I don't know. I have no idea what to think of this one. It's really weird. So here's, I looked up what the Monroe Institute is because it's referenced in this document. And their website says, for over 50 years, the Monroe Institute has been welcoming consciousness consciousness explorers from all over the world. Our non-dogmatic experimental approach allows you to pursue your own personal exploration of human consciousness. Uh Monroe programs include the use of Monroe sound science along with exercises to target specific states of consciousness. I was kind of bummed out it had nothing to do with Bill Monroe, but (laughs) what can you do? (laughs) <laughs> That's silly. So, hey, what did our audience drop in the chat? What's in your pocket? Nobody guessed yet. About no, okay. Yeah. All right. No guesses on what's in the pocket. All right. Now, here's, I skipped to the end of the document. Here's the conclusion to the document. There is a sound rational basis in terms of physical science parameters for considering Gateway to be plausible in terms of its essential objectives. Institutional, um, in, oh, intuitional insights of not only personal, but of a practical and professional nature would seem to be within bounds of reasonable expectations. However, a phased approach for entering the gateway experience is an accelerated mode, 
would seem to be required if the time needed to reach an advanced states of altered consciousness is to be brought within more manageable limits from the potential. The most promising approach suggested in the foregoing study involves the following steps. A. Begin by using the gateway hemisync tapes to achieve enhanced brain focus and to induce hemispheric synchronization. B. Then add strong REM sleep frequencies to induce the left brain quiescence and deep physical relaxation. C. Provide hypnotic suggestion designed to enable an individual to induce deep auto-hypnotic state at will. D. Use auto-hypnotic suggestions to attain much-enhanced focus of concentration and motivation and rapidly progressing through Focus 12 exercises. E. Then repeat steps A and B following use of the auto-hypnotic suggestions that an out-of-body movement will occur and be remembered. F. Repeat step E to achieve facility in gaining out-of-body state under conscious control. Alter hypnotic suggestion to stress ability to consciously control out-of-body movement and maintain it even after REM sleep state ends. G. Approach focus 15 and 21 objectives, escape from time-space and interact within new dimensions from the out-of-body perspective. H. Use multi- Focus approach to solve problem of distortion in terrestrial information gathering trips. This approach involves the use of three individuals in the out-of-body state, one viewing the target object here in time-space, one viewing it in at focus 15 as it slips into the immediate past, and one viewing it at focus 21 as it slips from the immediate future. Debrief all three and compare data gathered from the three points of view. If care is taken to ensure that the, th- that the three go- all go out of body together in the same environment, their consciousness energy systems should resonate in sympathetic oscillation. They can tune in to the same target on different planes or dimensions with greater effectiveness. I. Encourage pursuit of full self-knowledge by all individuals involved in the foregoing experiments to enhance objectivity in out-of-body observations and thinking and to remove personal energy blockages likely to retard rapid progress. J. Be intellectually prepared to react to possible encounters with intelligent non-corporeal energy forms when time-space boundaries are exceeded. K. Arrange to have groups of people in Focus 12 state unite their altered consciousness to build holographic patterns around sensitive (laughs) areas to repulse possible unwanted out-of-body presences. Oh, my. Does it keep going? <laughs> wait, wait. There's one more. Okay, there's, one more. One this, more. this one's better. This, this is my favorite. Okay. L. Encourage more advanced gateway participants to build holographic patterns of successful attainment and rapid progress for advanced colleagues to assist them in progressing through the gateway system. Oh, wait. No, that wasn't my favorite. K was my favorite. <laughs> 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 so there's a system and it starts pretty straightforward, pretty simply. You're like, okay, we're getting some tapes, we're doing some meditation, we're going through the process. And then suddenly you're on these steps where you're beyond space time running into astral beings. Now, my question yeah. is, has anyone completed all the way to step K? 
Well, you would presume that they have. Uh, I was not able to dig deep enough through the documents. There just wasn't enough time. But that's one thing I would want to look for is, you know, you were talking about missions that you looked at. Right. Can, are there documentations of these missions where they, they document these experiences? You but know? were they able to recreate hologram experiences? I, I did not look into that yet. I do not know, but I'm very curious to find out more. Okay, I'm very skeptical to not find out more. But like you said, like you said, there are tens of thousands of pages of these documents. So True. it's not going to happen anytime okay, soon. Okay, ETA has a question. What's up, ETA? Were they on ayahuasca? <laughs> <laughs> they were on something, it sounds like. All right, and then this, the conclusion concludes with, if these exper experiments are carried through, it is to be hoped that we will truly find a gateway to gateway and to the realm of practical application for the whole system of techniques which comprise it. So that last paragraph suggests that they had not achieved... No at the time of the writing of this document, but this was a document describing their strategy, but this is something that was ongoing, not something that had yet been achieved. I still making the tapes. On the other hand, if they're talking about entities encountered, that suggests that people did report these entities during their experiments, right? I saw a demon. Yeah, It was exactly. dark. It came yeah. out of the darkness. But this is, here's the thing though. This is not something that's like a science fiction Story. This is something that was funded by our government. This was a serious project trying to attain serious goals. That's what I keep saying is like, it's really hard to know how to take this. It's hard to take it seriously. Let's be honest, right? It's hard to take this seriously. And yet, this was a government project that right. was taken seriously by Some our government. Some parts more than others. Yeah. For 25 years. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's really hard to know how to how to interpret it like i don't i don't know what to think about this all right so next up i think agent ether you have something else uh, i do i have a dia report about controlled offensive behavior in the ussr oh yeah so this was written in 1972 and really it was a precursor to stargate or maybe around the same time as stargate and it contains information and within the document, it says that this information is so classified that it, it, it's held within the meeting of the espionage law, meaning that it is completely prohibited by law for any unauthorized person to see or reveal its contents. So, mm. ultra-classified. Uh, it's a summary on the information available on the Soviet research of human, quote, vulnerabilities as it relates to incapacitating individuals or small groups. So it's the review of the not only parapsychological, but also just influencing human behavior. And because they thought there was so much going on and they'd read journal articles and they'd heard reports, they put together this whole over 100-page document that basically sums up what they thought was going on in the Soviet Union. This included sections on current events, um, general psychology and psychiatry in the USSR, and then using psychological phenomena as weapons. So what were they doing to try and weaponize psychology, things like controlling temperature, uh, atmospheric Conditions, light, sound, deprivation, like sound deprivation. The different things that they knew they were already trying to do. 
And then the next part of the document starts talking about the significance of parapsychology specifically in the USSR. And they talk about things like hypnosis being used not just in medicine, but also in something like telepathy or controlled behavior and conditioning through suggestion. Um, They also talk about psychopharmacology, which is the use of drugs in order to trigger psychic response. So this document goes over a lot of different things, not just parapsychosis. Um, But I do have some quotes and information here from the document specifically. Let's see what I have here. There's what? Oh, God, Russian names. Okay. Snezneviski. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Snezneviski. I think that's okay was at the Academy of Medical Sciences in the USSR, and he says, I have read absurd reports that in the USSR, healthy people are put into psychiatric hospitals. Like all my colleagues, I cannot express my feelings of profound indignation at this wild fantasy. Soviet psychiatrists, a detachment of Soviet medical workers consisting of many thousands, do not, of course, need to be defended from insulting attacks of this sort. In our country and abroad, fame and deserved authorities are enjoyed by such psychiatrists as, and then he mentions several, eight specific psychiatrists and continues his argument by listing members of a U.S. mission that toured Soviet psychiatrist facilities. And it says basically that the Soviets are not, in fact, using mental health patients or, you know, healthy patients in order to conduct these experiments. So I guess what happened was there was an outcry in the Soviet Union, um, not just from this report, but before this report came out, because they were accused of doing things like using mental health patients to perform parapsychological experiments. And in this report by the DIA, they're, they're quoting this person as saying, you know, this is not true, this is propaganda, but... Um, some some argue differently. Some psychiatrists say, no, we actually went over there and we toured the facilities and we did see these types of experimentation. And the Soviet Union, the researchers argued, I think they don't say who, but in the document they say, researchers made the statement, tell America that the psychic potential of man must be used for good. And the document argues why would they say that unless they don't believe it's true? Interesting point. <laughs> yes, it says, the more sinister aspects of paranormal research appear to be surfacing in the Soviet Union. Why else would they make this statement? Hmm. So the Soviet Union is saying, you know, it should be used for good. We're not over here, like, testing mental asylum patients. Maybe you guys should think twice about your accusations and about doing that. And they're like, no, 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 that's reverse psychology. Hmm. It's kind of interesting, right? Yeah, you never know. Never know. And then I was looking through this very long document, and I just found something on the apport technique. Mm -hmm. And, oh, did it cut off? It cut off. But I'll just paraphrase it. So this technique would make it possible to transfer actual objects like documents from enemy territory 
into the United States or friendly territory where the objects could then be read and then returned to the point of origin without anyone becoming aware of the abduction. And the transferred documents are called apports. Hmm. Apports. So it's a kind of ESP. I guess they said one of the weaknesses of our intelligence system is our inability to use the resources of science in parapsychology. Like it's like it should be something we're able to do. It's like a weakness because we're not able to do it yet. Weird. Yeah, I thought that was a very strange way of putting it too. What does that mean? I don't know. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? So that's basically that's basically the document. I just wanted to sum it up real quick. Yeah, it's a very long document, so you didn't... It was, but there were so many interesting <laughs> parts. Agent Ether's like, send me more stuff. Uh, so I sent her that just randomly, and she's like, nah, this is way too long. Way too long. I could never <laughs> get through it all. But yeah, I, I did I did browse through it, and it was it was very interesting. It might be something for a bonus episode, because there's, there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, there really was. Well, just the um, psychopharmacology by itself was interesting, like using substances to try and control people. Like uh, they mentioned LSD, psilocybin, um, let's see, benzos. And then they talk about countermeasures. Like what can Mm. you do against psychopharmacology? So um, yeah, yeah, very interesting. Weird stuff. All right, I got a little one last thing here is this transcript from what you were talking about earlier. Oh, is, great. Is the Mars remote viewing. Who was that with? That was with um Mick Mick Monigle. It's so it's uh, this was again May 22nd, 1984. And the document says method of site acquisition, sealed envelope coupled with geographic coordinates. The sealed envelope was given to the subject immediately prior to the interview. The envelope was not opened until after the interview. The envelope was a three by five card. In the envelope was a three by five card with the following information. The planet Mars. Time of interest, approximately one million years BC. Selected geographic coordinates provided by the parties requesting information were verbally given to the subject during the interview. All right, so let's get to parts of this interview. It's pretty kind of interesting. We'll see. Okay, so some introductory stuff. And it says, all right, now using the information in the envelope I've provided, exclusively focusing your attention now using the information, focus on 40.89 degrees north and 9.55 degrees west. That is really specific. You got to wonder how they came up with that. They, that's, they're looking for a specific coordinate. Why would they choose that? I don't know. Kind of weird. Anyways, subject says, I want to say it looks like, uh, I don't know. It sort of looks, I kind of got an oblique view of a, a pyramid or pyramid form. It's very high. It's kind of sitting in a large depressed area. All right. It's yellowish. Uh, okra colored. What? <laughs> is okra is a color? Okay. All right. Move in time to the time indicated in the envelope I've provided you and describe what's happening. I'm tracking severe clouds, more like dust storm. Uh, it's geological problem. Seems to be like, uh, just a minute, 
I've got to iron this out. It's really weird. Just report your raw perceptions at this time. You're still early in the session. I'm looking at uh, after effect of a major geologic problem. Okay, go back to the time before the geologic problem. Uh, total difference. It's uh, before there's, uh, I don't know. Oh, hell, it's like mountains of dirt appear and then disappear when you go before. See uh, large flat surfaces, very smooth. Angles, walls. They're really large, though. I mean, they're megalithic. All right. At this period in time, now before the geologic activity, look around. In and around this area and see if you can find any activity. I'm seeing, uh, it's like a perception of a shadow of people, very tall, thin. It's only a shadow. It's as if they were there, and they're not, not there anymore. Go back to a period of time when they are there. Um, mumble. It's like I get a lot of static on a line and everything. It's breaking up all the time, very fragmentary pieces. Just report the raw data. Don't try to put things together. Just report the raw data. I just keep seeing very large people. They appear thin and tall, but they're very large, uh, wearing some kind of strange clothes. And that's, I mean, that's just like a little excerpt. So it kind of goes on like that for a while. He talks about a cavern, but not a cavern, more like a canyon. He's looking up and the sides are steep and it's very, very steep. Like they seem to go up forever. There's a structure with a wall. Uh, you know, it's maybe I'll do this in depth in a bonus episode or something because it's pretty interesting stuff. But um, on the other hand, a skeptic could say that he is using some pretty vague descriptions and that the the questions being asked could be leading questions in a way. But on the other hand, he does describe like these alien forms. So I don't know. It's I find it very interesting. I don't necessarily believe it 100%, but I find it pretty interesting. What do you think about this, Agent Ether? Well, I did do a little background reading on this particular person, and yeah. he did not have the happiest of upbringings. And he does have some very, uh, let's say, strange ideas, like modern ideas that I've that I've read about. Okay. Well, so it makes it harder for me to take what he's saying now and completely you know, not dismiss it and be like, well, <laughs> yeah. just because he does seem so hokey like today. Like if I look at his website today or I read the books that he's put out. Well, this transcript seems pretty hokey. No, it, <laughs> it does. I actually had this some of the same quotes in my notes yeah. that, that you have here. Uh, it is interesting though, the alien people, that's definitely the most interesting thing that, that he's talked about for sure. Well, megalithic structures. He talks about pyramids. He talks about super deep canyons, which, you know, don't really exist on Earth, but might exist on Mars. I don't know. I would like to know, I would like to look up those coordinates on Mars and see if what he's describing is in that area. But then again, it's a million it's years ago. It's a million ago, years ago, yeah. So who knows? It's just it's a, it's such a strange thing for the military to ask him about. Mars a million years ago. Right. That's That's why I chose this one, because it's so weird completely bizarre and it just again this is something that they were taking very seriously or were they i don't know it just this topic is just so strange to me 
All right. Well, I guess that's pretty much all we got for our regular episode this time around. There is so much more to Project Stargate. I wouldn't be surprised if we revisited it in the future, maybe look over some more documents and stuff. It's pretty fascinating. Personally, I'm not totally convinced one way or the other. Um, I probably lean a little towards the skeptic side because it seems it seems just a little weird, <laughs> you know. Uh, but we have had a strange experience like that one time that we were in that car accident that, you know, remember that agent ether? How could I forget? Yeah, where we were, we were, in case you guys forget, we talked about it on the show before, but we were, we were at a red light and the, there was a bend in the road. So you could not see oncoming traffic. It was around the bend. You couldn't see it coming. It was also very dark. It was very dark. And, you know, 30 seconds well before the accident happened, Ether starts freaking out saying, you're in the wrong lane. And I said, no, I need to make a left turn here. This is where I'm at. And then she was like really anxious. And then she calmed down. And then somebody plowed into the back of us, totaling my car. So that was kind of weird. Coincidence? Maybe. I don't know. But I mean, it's also a little bit weird. So I'm not ready to dismiss this stuff entirely. But on the other hand, <laughs> I am a little skeptical. What do you think, Agent Ether? I thought it was pretty interesting. And I want to know more. Right. It's very it's fascinating. Thing, you know, because there was this whole document and and there were other documents, too, from the CIA and the DIA where they're looking at what they're doing over in Russia. And ETA mentioned they were doing experiments in Germany. And I just feel like, are they still doing experiments today? I want to know more. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Uh, how about you, ETA? Any final thoughts? Yeah, you know, I agree fully with you that I'm very skeptical about the reality of the situation. It's very interesting and the one thing that kind of compels me to try to lean towards, I guess, like trying to believe some of this stuff and, and thinking maybe there's something there that, that was going on at one point at least is because how long this invest or this research took place. Why would they have been doing this for 25 years or so if not if there wasn't something there? You know what I mean? Yeah. What that is, I don't know. But it, it I mean, that's the only that's the biggest part of the evidence, I guess you could say, that kind of compels me towards trying to understand like what exactly happened here, you know, cause it's, it's not obvious like what they actually accomplished. Yeah. You know, so. It, well, we'd have to dig into the documents a lot deeper. And I find the whole, I find the whole subject like really fascinating. I, I'm very interested in this stuff. It's, it's really interesting, but on the other hand, I'm sort of, like I said, on the fence, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this was a really fun one. I really enjoyed this one. It's, a little outside of what we normally talk about, but it's still pretty fascinating. So, all right. Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time. Keep it strange. <laughs>